You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Eagles survived an early scare against the Texans, but still went on to win 29-17 on Thursday Night Football. And now, it's the Pick'em Show. Hello, everybody. Damn, I love hearing this music on Saturday morning. It means... One step closer to football on Sunday. It's me, your host, Nick Scheist. I'm once again not joined by my co-host, who is borderline going to retire from doing this show. But it has given me the opportunity to change how this show is paced and how it's handled and some things that I want to do with it. And I like that I can get it done in less than uh, two hours now. So... I think that is a positive to take away from it. I miss having Kristen here on the show. Uh, If you listen to the show because of her and now she's not here, uh, my apologies. Uh, You can, you know, reach out to me at Shice Podcast on Twitter. Let me know that you miss her. She'll appreciate that. But as part of revamping and restructuring kind of how this show goes, we're going to start with the first and 15 segment. After review, the results of the play is first and 15. So I've got 15 minutes on the clock to recap the Eagles at the Texans starting now. This was a interesting, not quite trap game, but the Eagles were favored by, I think, when I picked the game, they were favored by 13 and a half. They ended up winning by 12, so they got pretty close to covering, but, you know, the Texans are at a point in the season where... They couldn't move Brandon Cooks. He's disgruntled, so he didn't play. They're basically in tank mode. But they still did have an opportunity here on Thursday Night Football on a national stage to beat the only undefeated team remaining in football this year. So to the Texans, it was almost their Super Bowl. Definitely the biggest game of their season. And to their credit, they came out and played hard in this game. They caught the Eagles by surprise early with the level of physicality that they brought to the game. And even when I wrote about this game in the preview, I said the one thing the Texans can do to make this competitive and make it interesting is to make the physical toll of the game not worth it for the Eagles. Because at 8-0, the Eagles have their playoffs ahead of them. You know, they're going to be a playoff team. Let's not kid ourselves. But they have the whole rest of their season in front of them. And would it be worth it for them to risk serious, like, physical injury in a game that's kind of meaningless? And so the Texans came out and played really, really hard early. And they were hitting. Uh, Damian Pierce out of the backfield was running like a sledgehammer. Uh, And, you know, I figured he would have a big game because they didn't really have any choice. They were going to lean on the ground game, try to keep the game away from 
the Eagles offense as much as possible, and they did that. Pierce had 27 carries for 139 yards. Uh, didn't end up scoring, but man, did he set the tone. He's he's incredible, and I'm glad that, if nothing else, the national stage uh, was a good showcase for him to show off his skill set. And the Eagles didn't have a particularly great run defense anyway, which I pointed out. They're middle of the pack, um, but they get up, and then you start throwing against them, and their pass defense is good, so... You know, the Texans had to do what they had to do to try and make this a game. And for a while there, it was. They scored first. You know, they went right down the field, went 75 yards on nine plays. Uh, Davis Mills looked as good as he's looked all season until later he didn't. But they scored first, went up 7 nothing. Then the Eagles came back, and they had a long 18-play, 91-yard drive because the Texans' defense was forcing them into a lot of third down situations the Eagles weren't just picking up first downs at will they had one two three four four third down conversions on that drive so it looked a little precarious like they may have to get rid of the football at some point during uh that opening drive but they survived it they scored the touchdown and then they were able to force a quick punt from the Texans. So at that point, it's like, all right, the Texans scored first. They surprised the Eagles. Maybe the Eagles have figured it out, and they're not going to get beat the rest of the way. Uh, but then they fumbled a few plays later. Uh, there were three plays into their drive, and Hertz got sack fumbled, and it was recovered by the Texans. And the Texans started at their own 35, so, you know, decent field position, but not great. And then... You know, they went four plays and punted again. The Eagles scored the touchdown to make it 14-7. And at that point, it's like, okay, well, the Eagles figured it out. They got punched in the mouth early, but they they got a good chin. And they got up and they showed resilience. And I think we saw that, too, in the Jacksonville game, where I think they got down 14 nothing early at home in the rain and rallied to win that game. And I think they outscored the... Jags 20 29 to 7 or something the rest of the way in that game I'm not looking at it but it was a dominant performance after those initial 14 points and that's kind of the same thing that happened here but once the Eagles went up uh excuse me 14 to 7 on Gainwell's touchdown at that point it's like I said Gainwell would have fantasy relevance in this game he did I said Sanders would have a good game he did felt the Eagles would win they did I did pick the Eagles to cover, and I did take the under at, I think it was set at 44 and a half when I picked it. So, you know, I'm just going to double check that. It was 45, so I missed the over-under push by a point and didn't get the cover out of the Eagles, but they still ended up winning by two scores comfortably by the end of this game. But the Texans did tie it right before the half on another nice drive where Chris Moore had a really uh, excellent touchdown catch uh, along the right boundary of the end zone. And it, they initially overturned it for some reason because of like completing the catch to the ground kind of rule. And it was one of those plays where I'm like, if they really rule this not a catch, we're going back in time to when this rule first got implemented and people still just couldn't understand it. So I'm glad that they actually allowed that to stand as a touchdown because it was a touchdown. Uh, and then the Eagles got the ball back with 37 seconds. They tried to get into field goal range, which I guess technically they did. Elliott's got a decent leg and he just missed the 54 yarder, but they had gotten what they wanted more or less out of that drive, trying to get that field goal 
because uh, they were going to get the ball back to start the third quarter. So it was like if they could go two for one there, going into the locker room, make it 17-14, get the ball back, score, that would have been best-case scenario for them. But they did get the ball back, and they went three and out. So this game's still tied at 14. The Texans are still hanging in there, still making it an inequitable game for the Eagles at that point. And, you know, part of me looking at this being maybe a little bit of a trap game was not that I didn't think the Eagles were the better team or I didn't think that they were going to win. I figured they were going to win. But the one way that the Texans were going to be able to win this game was the Eagles overlooking them and the Texans playing their best game of the season. I think both of those things kind of happened. But the Eagles defense is pretty good too, and they forced a three and out right back from the Texans. But the Texans defense came up and forced a three and out back the other way. So punt, punt, punt to start the second half. And then the Texans had the opportunity to... You know, they, they had the possession advantage here with the game tied, and Davis Mills uh, threw a pick to C.J. Gardner-Johnson, like kind of right in the middle of the field, uh, made a diving pick, great play by Johnson, and the Eagles converted that for the touchdown two plays later because uh, he returned it to the 17, and so it was really just two plays, and then Jalen Hurts finds A.J. Brown for that touchdown. And at that point, 21-14 is kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back because the Texans had just had opportunities to like get out ahead of a good team and they weren't able to do it and when you give a good team a lot of opportunities eventually they're gonna cash in on those and so they got the pick they got the touchdown they take the lead and once they took it they never relinquished it um so I mean credit to the Texans they made it 21-17 with the field goal drive on the following possession but you know, they get down to the fourth and nine at the Philly 12. And I mean, that's not a conversion you want to go for, but you're playing with fire because you kick a field goal. You're still down a full score being down 21-17. So you're still going to need a touchdown at some point. And I think they thought that maybe the defense was going to be able to hold up. But, you know, after the after the Eagles smelled blood in the water on the touchdown to Brown, they came out on the next drive and went 75 yards in 10 plays and carved them up pretty easily. And they ended up uh, scoring a touchdown on that next drive too. So at that point, uh, it was 27 to 17. I'm not 100% sure why, but the Eagles decided to go for two and they got it. So they made it 29-17. They're into the fourth quarter at that point. They're five minutes into the fourth quarter, almost at that point by the time that the Texans get the ball back and now they need two scores and not just two scores, two touchdowns. So not something that's a ideal situation for them and they put together a drive where they end up at midfield and they have a third and 10 but Mills gets sacked but then it's fourth and 14 at the 50 with eight minutes left and they're down 12. This is a moment in this game in this situation in this matchup on TV where if you're the Texans you need to go for this fourth and 14 like you've shown no signs that you're going to be able to get two stops and two scores in the final eight minutes of the game to come back and win this game. And you're at midfield, like you have to take your shot here. And if you don't take your shot, you know, you're going to lose this game. And so they punt and they're, they're able to get a stop from Philly and they three and out them on uh, Philly's next possession. But then there's six minutes left in the game and they're starting from their own 38 so decent field position after the punt but you know they're forced to throw at that point the Eagles have a good pass defense and what happens 
exactly what you expect would happen. Davis Mills is trying to grab a bunch of yardage at once and ends up getting picked off. And he gets picked off by Bradbury here. Uh, I can't remember if it was in the end zone, but it was pretty close because they were kind of like borderline red zone at that point. But it was a third and 19. They're throwing deep there. Uh, and, you know, you throw against the Eagles enough, you're going to start to get picked off. And that's exactly what happened in this game. Like as, as it stagnated in the middle and the Texans couldn't really convert first downs in the early part of the second half with the run game, they end up having to throw the football and you know that's right into the teeth of the Eagles defense so not really too much unexpected I wish I would have been able to pick up the the cover but it is what it is Jalen Hurts finished uh, 21 to 27 for 243 two touchdowns 23 rushing yards but sacked four times so that's going to be something to keep an eye on uh, on that left side of the offensive line. Mal Sanders had a good game with 93 yards. Goddard had 100 and a touchdown. A.J. Brown had a touchdown. Uh, and yeah, as I said, Pierce had 27 carries for a buck 39. Davis Mills, 13 of 22 for 154 and two touchdowns. So it's like he was playing okay until those late picks. But as I had said in the preview for this game, he's kind of regressed from where he was last season. And that's the end of... The first and 15. Welcome to the two-minute drill. All right, so we're moving on into the two-minute drill. I've got two minutes on the clock right now, and we're starting with the Chargers on the road at the Falcons. The Chargers are favored by three, but I don't like it as much as I did maybe yesterday. You've got uh, Mike Williams out, Dustin Hopkins out, Keenan Allen out. DeAndre Carter's questionable. Uh, Jerry Tillery, defensive end, out. Chris Rumpf, out. Ooh, brutal, brutal, brutal for the Chargers. Uh, I mean, they're 4-3. and three. They're coming off their bye, but, you know, they were hoping to get Keenan Allen back this week, and it's looking horrible for them. And the Falcons, Elijah Wilkinson's out on their O-line. AJ Terrell is out at corner, which if Keenan Allen was in the game would have been great for them, but it's not the case. Atlanta is the much healthier team of the two. Uh, looks like over under a 49 and a half. Ew, with all those injuries, I'm going to probably say under 49 and a half. And I know Atlanta gives up a lot of passing yards and, you know, Justin Herbert still is a, a dangerous guy. But it's really Palmer, Everett, uh, Jason Moore, Michael Bandy, Keelan Doss. I expect Austin Eckler probably to also have uh, a pretty big role in the passing game, which I, I hope is the case because I had to pick up Sony Michelle out of desperation, and I could use him to pick up some rushing yards while Eckler's being used in the passing game. Uh, you know what? I, I think the Falcons are a good team. They've been competitive with a lot of teams already at 100%, so the Falcons at home, I'm kind of liking them on this pick, and just with the injuries to the Chargers, like, they're going to have to find something that they've been struggling to find all season long, so I'm going with the Falcons. Rids picks. She, too, is going with the Falcons. Up next, we've got the Dolphins at the Bears. This is a game where you know, the Dolphins, I think, are pretty clearly the better team here but the bears are 
coming around. They're starting to find their stride a little bit and figure out who they are. If the dolphins are healthy, they're just a little bit more dynamic of a threat on offense. Uh, Justin Fields is starting to play pretty damn good football despite being on a team that has not really helped him out. They did pick up Chase Claypool, though, at the trade deadline. Uh, so that gives them a big-bodied, hopefully high-point kind of receiver that they used to have with Allen Robinson. You, like, you know, throw up a 50-50 ball, let him go get it. Uh, they will be without Jalen Johnson at corner. Miami's going to be dealing with injuries to Teron Armstead at left tackle and Austin Jackson at right tackle. Uh, Jalen Phillips at linebacker is questionable. Eric Rose questionable. You know, I just I still view Miami as the better team here. I know that they're on the road. This is a morning game. What is the weather going to be like here? This is going to be a semi-cold game at 52 degrees, so semi-cold for Miami. I think them being favored by four is mm, maybe a bit much, over under a 45. I mean, the Bears have scored 33 and 29 in their last two games, so they've kind of woken up the offense there. And Miami, yeah, they didn't score that much against Pittsburgh, but it was the first game back for Tua, and he was dealing with his injury question, so... They put up 31 last week against a bad defense, and this is a Bears defense that just gave up 50 points, so I think I'm happy to take the over at 45 and watch these teams shoot it out with their athletes. I think when it comes down to it, if the game is in a pinch, though, Miami just has a slight advantage, but I think I want to have fun with it. I'll take the over. I'll take the Bears to cover, and then I will take uh, Miami to pick up the road W. Rids picks. She's taking the Dolphins too. Next up, we've got the Panthers on the road at the Bengals. Panthers are two and six, but they are starting to come around a little bit. The Bengals without Jamar Chase looked a little bit lost last week. They started to get it together in the second half uh, once the game was out of reach, but that's not what you want. This is going to have to be a defensive effort here from Cincinnati to win this game because the Panthers they're starting to score points PJ Walker is having fun out there uh, they scored 21 on Tampa they scored 34 on Atlanta in the last two weeks uh, and the Bengals are just coming off a game where you know they scored 13 without their star so I think the Bengals are probably right to be favored here but I like the Panthers at plus seven because you know they're, they're having fun. They, I think the pressure's off. They know that they're tanking. They don't care anymore. Uh, they have the freedom to fail, which is important. And if both of these teams can score, I'll take over at 42 and a half. We'll have fun with that. So I'll take the Bengals to win a game that they need to win. Because they need to show everybody that without Chase, like they can still compete. And it, like if he's gone and they just can't win without him, then that, that says they're not that good of a football team. And I think they are better than that. So I do expect the Bengals to win. We'll go over 42 and a half. Uh, and yeah, Panthers plus seven sounds fun. Chuba Hubbard's out, but Dante Foreman is going to play. So I don't think it's going to be that big of a step back for them anyway. It's not like when oh, McCaffrey was out and then they're just their whole offense is handcuffed to him. So I might even play P.J. Walker. 
uh, in a league or two if I need him. If you need like a DFS quarterback, it could be a good situation for him. Reds picks. She's going with the Bengals. Moving right along, we've got the Packers on the road at the Lions. The Packers are three and a half point road favorites here, and I understand that. Over under 49 and a half, I don't know. It is a division game, so it's important, but you know, at this point, the Lions being one and six, they're kind of out of it. They're in they're in a weird place where they don't know if it's good to tank or not. Uh, DeAndre Swift is questionable again. Josh Reynolds is doubtful. Chark out. Cephas on IR. Uh, Jamison Williams still out. Uh, their tight end, Brock Wright, is questionable after trading away. TJ Hawkinson. Kabinda, I don't think he's played all season, but he's never been on IR. Taylor Decker, questionable. Charles Harris, questionable. So it's really Goff. Maybe Jamal Williams. Uh, ARSB. And Khalif Raymond. And that's what they got to go with. So, I mean, that that ain't good. The, you know, the Packers are not the healthiest team. Lazard is questionable, and I think he came back to practice today, though. But Bakhtiari and Jenkins still questionable. Didn't help them last week, although sacks were not their issue. Preston Smith questionable. Devondre Campbell questionable. So not great at linebacker um, injury-wise. So... It's going to come down to Swift. I mean, the Lions go as Swift goes. But at 1-6, and six, I think they probably compete just because it's a division game. But this is a game that the Packers need to win desperately. The Lions at 1-6 at and six don't need to win. But if they can scare the Packers, that's probably good enough. Over under 49.5. I'm going to say under. Because I don't, I'm not, I don't really fear either of these offenses. But Packers three and a half is fine with me. Rids picks. Rids is taking the Lions. Next up, we've got the Colts on the road at the Patriots. Colts are three, four, and one. Patriots are four and four. You know, I, I think that the Colts kind of gave up on their season a couple weeks ago when they decided to just give Ellinger the the reins to the offense. Matt Ryan is injured, but that's not why he's not starting. But they're also going to be without Jonathan Taylor. They, I mean, Dennis Kelly's questionable, but that's not the end of the world for them. So it's going to be Deion Jackson, Zach Moss, Philip Lindsay. They're going to try and run the ball a lot here against New England, but New England's a pretty good run team themselves. Their bigger problem is that they're missing their right tackle, Marcus Cannon. They're missing their center, David Andrews. That's big. Uh, they're missing Devontae Parker. Uh, and then they've got several guys questionable on the defense. So it's going to be an attitude type of game because this is a different Colts team without their number one offensive weapon and a quarterback who can really take advantage of all of their passing assets. And so what I'm going to look at is even with Jonathan Taylor for the majority of the season, I mean, he's missed here and there, but the Colts don't run the ball well as an offense. They're not even breaking 100 yards a game. I think teams just they saw what happened last year. So they're going to stack the box, take away Taylor. And they saw that late in the year they fell apart when they couldn't run the ball. And, you know, the offense couldn't win games for them. So I think similarly here, if you're New England, you don't have to sell out to stop the run. You don't have to fear Taylor as much, but definitely put the game in the hands of the, the younger quarterback. And Belichick usually has a good scheme in place to deal with younger quarterbacks. Five and a half maybe seems a bit big, but uh, I'll take the Patriots 
to cover that five and a half and mm, over under 40 that's a close one we'll say under Rids picks she likes the Patriots moving on to my preferred game of the week we've got the Buffalo Bills on the road at the New York Jets the surprising five and three New York Jets they are coming off a loss to New England where they didn't look great uh, in the absence of Brees Hall. He definitely takes away from their offense. And James Robinson, who they brought in, is now questionable too. So there's a chance he doesn't play. Corey Davis is out. So at receiver, it's Garrett Wilson, the rookie, and Elijah Moore, who's a second-year, third-year guy. So they don't have a ton of experience there. Uh, Conklin and Nuzoma are going to have to play big roles here as tight ends, which I thought was going to be the case much earlier in the season. Uh, the Bills have owned the Jets pretty good here over the last couple of years. They will be without Jordan Poyer, though, and they're bringing in, well, they're bringing back Dean Marlowe, who they acquired at the trade deadline, because I guess they weren't happy with Jaquan Johnson filling in that role for Poyer. So it's going to be Hamlin, Marlowe, Jackson, and it looks like Tredavious White is going to make his return in this game, and he's probably not going to play every snap because, I mean, they still want to bring him along slowly, but he's rehabbed the knee. It was about this time last year. It was the Thanksgiving game where he blew out his knee, so it's nice to see him back. I don't want to see him, like, rushed back, though, so I'm happy to get him a couple of snaps, have him start, and then uh, let Elam and Dane Jackson and Benford take it the rest of the way. They've been great all season for the Bills, so I'll take that all day. Bills are favored by 11 and a half, and I think that's more indicative of their offense than the quality of the Jets' defense, which has been pretty good. Uh, over under a 46, I think I will take the under, and I will take the Bills to cover basically like I did with the uh, the Eagles and the Texans, and I lost that one, so you know how it goes. Rids picks. That trader is picking the Jets. Next up, we've got the Vikings on the road at the Commanders, who have found some life with Taylor Heineke back under center, uh, but it's going to be tested as they're missing David Mayo and Cole Holcomb in the middle of their uh, linebacking core. Jahan Dodson's out. So that's good for Curtis Samuel owners like myself. McKissick's out, which is good for Antonio Gibson owners like also myself. Uh, and they've been playing, they've been playing solid. You know, they they picked up a couple of wins in a row now. That's uh, Chicago, uh, Green Bay, and Indy. And none of those are like super impressive. But the win over Green Bay was a good win, and coming back and beating Indy is a good win. Uh, they're just they're not scoring a ton of points and I think Minnesota's offense uh, is a little bit more adept at putting the pressure on them so even with Dalvin Tomlinson out uh, on the defensive line for Minnesota they've looked good and they just like haven't shot themselves in the foot their defense has been a lot better than last year so as long as they don't make the killer mistakes they should find a way to win this game uh the washington defense still chase young hasn't played for them all season yet but the defensive front is starting to play better but that's why i think those two linebacker injuries are going to be a big deal when it comes to bottling up minnesota long term i mean having john bostick as a backup is nice but beyond that you're getting uh uh kaliki hudson and Dejon harris filling in for some starters and 
we'll see how it goes, but the way Minnesota likes to run the ball and play off the play action, I think, is going to be tough on those uh, second and third string linebackers. So I think Washington's got a decent chance here. At plus three, I don't like it as much. If it were like plus six, I might even take them outright. But I'll take the Vikings to win this game on the road, and we'll go over 43 and a half. Rids picks. Miss Ridley goes to Washington. Next up, it's the Raiders on the road at the Jags. Going from Vegas to Jacksonville. Morning game. That's a hard game. And the question of the season is, what the hell is wrong with the Raiders? They should not be this bad at all. Uh, but at 2-5, and five, they really have, what, two wins left to go? They got to go 8-2 and two the rest of the way in order to have a chance uh, at making the playoffs to get back to 10-7 and seven where they were last year. And, I mean, if there's ever a game that's going to be a gettable game for them, this is going to be the one. They still got Darren Waller questionable, but he may play. Uh, Divine Diablo at linebacker is questionable, but they're mostly pretty healthy, so it's surprising that they're this bad. Uh, the Jags, you know, they made some trades. They picked up Calvin Ridley, uh, but it's not like he's going to play through a suspension. But, you know, they're looking ahead to next season already, so... That's the kind of thing that tells you that they may be willing to tank it up in order to secure some draft picks because they see that their future is looking good and they see that they had a good start this season and can compete with some good teams. And they may just be a piece or two away, but stocking up on draft capital, uh, excuse me, draft capital is never a bad thing when you're a bad team. And it worked wonders for the Bills when they were bad, so... I don't blame Jacksonville if they want to do that. Uh, the Raiders score more, but they give up a lot more. So this is kind of a coin toss game, and I feel like I'm being punished by having to choose it at all. The Raiders are favored for some reason on the road. I don't. I would prefer the Jags be favored there, but you know, Jags as underdogs is not a great pick either. So I really don't know. Over under of 48. I would say this will probably. Probably get over 48 because of the lack of defensive quality, but I'll go Raiders, I guess. No confidence, though. Rids picks. Rids says Jags. Moving right along, we got the Seahawks 5-3 and three on the road at the 3-5 and five Cardinals. This is going to be an interesting one because the last time these two teams played, the Seahawks were able to win 19-9 in Seattle. It was a clunker of a game, but it was the start of their little three-game win streak. Uh, they've they've overachieved this season, I think, for most people. You know, I thought they were going to be in contention for a wild card. I didn't think they were going to be in contention to win the division. And, you know, there's still a lot of season left, but... They're at a position right now where a lot of people didn't expect them to be. I thought they would be better than people thought because of the freedom of getting rid of Russell Wilson and just moving to a more team-oriented game, and that has been the case. Uh, I like Geno Smith. He hasn't made all of the killer mistakes that he made last season, so he definitely learned. Kenneth Walker stepping in has been a blessing for them, and it looks like Metcalf and Lockett are both healthy, although uh, Goodwin is out now. The Cardinals, Connor is questionable. They did get Hopkins back, so that's going to be a difference between this game and the last game. But at left tackle, Humphreys is questionable. Left guard, Max Garcia out. Rodney Hudson out. Um, that's a lot of pieces right in the interior that uh, are missing, and that's not good at all. And their punter is questionable too, so they may be forced into some situations that they don't like. 
you know, they're at home. It should be a game where they, when healthy, could win this game. And having Hopkins back is definitely going to be a, a difference maker in this game. It's not going to be 19-9 to again. But with the way that the Seahawks run the ball and their surprising speed and uh, playmaking ability on defense, I'm still going to go with the Seahawks here as two-point underdogs on the road. And I think I'm going to go under 49. Rids picks. Rids is going with the Cardinals. Now we move on to a game that I really have no desire to pick this game. And I thought I was being punished for the Raiders and the Jags, but the Rams on the road at the Bucks. Rams are three and four. Bucks are three and five. Neither of these teams is good right now, to be honest. They both have talent, but neither of these are good teams. The Bucks have lost five of their last six, and the Rams have lost three of their last four, including losing to San Francisco by double digits twice in that span. Uh, their only win in the last four is Carolina. The only win for the Bucks in their last six is Atlanta. And just both of these teams are not good. They don't score. They're both scoring less than 20 points per game, and the Rams are actually giving up more. So if the one thing you can like hang your hat on is maybe defense, maybe the Bucks have that. But even then, uh, Winfield is out. Carlton Davis is questionable. Murphy Bunting is questionable. So... You know, Akeem Hicks, questionable too. Cameron Brait's out. Luke Gattaki's out on the offensive line. Russell Gage is out. You know, looking at the depth chart, it's like the Bucks shouldn't be as bad as they are, but they're in a situation like the Raiders where just things are not clicking. Everything is off. The only thing that maybe the Bucks have going for them is they remember the Rams coming into Tampa last season and beating them on their way to the Super Bowl, and they're looking for a bit of revenge for that game. And they're catching the Rams at a time where, like, they don't really have anything aside from Cooper Cup and a mediocre defense to show for their efforts of a Super Bowl last season. Um, and their offensive line has just been, like, completely devastated. No booms on IR. Uh, Coleman Shelton's on IR. David Edwards on IR. So it's like they got Ryan Allen questionable in the middle, and then it's a bunch of other pieces filling in around them. I don't like picking this game at all. The Bucks' three-point favorites is hideous to me. The over-under 42.5 is hideous. Like, everything about this game sucks. I guess if I'm being forced to make a decision here, Bucks at home, bleh, under 42.5. Rids picks. Rids is going with the Bucks as well. Sunday night football, we get the 5-2 Tennessee Titans on the road at the 5-2 Kansas City Chiefs coming out of their bye week. So it looks like Vegas and the odds makers believe that Ryan Tannehill will not play because it is a 12 and a half point spread for the Chiefs and a 46 over under. So I know Tennessee is chewed up. Tannehill's questionable. Troy Carter's out at fullback, but eh, whatevs. But they're missing Kyle Phillips and Traylon Burks. So their receiving weaponry is not quite there. Jeffrey Simmons is questionable. Bud Dupree is questionable. Amani Hooker's out. And Kansas City's mostly healthy and full strength, except for Frank Clark is suspended for uh, violating the league's conduct policy. So if Malik Willis starts, I would say that the Chiefs defense is too good for him to beat them and I would say that the 12 and a half makes sense 
If Tannehill starts, I think the Chiefs probably still win, but the Titans covering 12 and a half is a lot more likely, and I would expect that spread to go way down if the news comes out that Tannehill is indeed going to start. He's still listed as questionable for the time being. Uh, over under a 46, I think the Chiefs probably probably score 28, 30 something points and the Titans are going to struggle without anything other than Henry because the Chiefs will find a way and like the Titans, you know, have played well in KC before, uh, but they lost that game too. So I could see this going over 46. I could see it going under. It just really depends on who's going to start, but I got to go Chiefs and under plus a KC cover for now. Rids picks. She, of course, wants the Chiefs. All right, we've made it to Monday Night Football, and we've got a matchup of the 5-3 and three Ravens on the road at the 3-5 and five Saints. Ravens are favored by 2.5 on the road, which seems a little bit small considering these teams' season trajectories, but I kind of get it. The Saints are a tough out, even though their record doesn't necessarily suggest it. They play in some close games. They can score. Their defense has talent on it. Um... And you're looking at the Ravens, who potentially might be missing Gus Edwards. Demarcus Robinson uh, is questionable, even though Bateman is out. So that's not necessarily a huge win. Andrews is questionable. Uh, but as we saw last week, they are not bad with Isaiah Likely in the offense. And, you know, no disrespect to Mark Andrews, but the playbook actually might even open up a little bit more with Likely at tight end, and they can kind of flex him into an extra receiver position. Marcus Peters questionable, but what else is new there? For the Saints, Ingram is doubtful, so he's not going to get his kind of revenge game, I guess. Um, Landry, still questionable, might come back and play. That would help them, especially with Thomas out. If you have Landry and Olave, it's a nice one-two punch. Eric McCoy is questionable at center. Uh, David Onyemata is questionable at D-tackle, and Lattimore is questionable after I think he missed last week, so you could theoretically get Lattimore back. I think these teams are just similar in that, you know, they both like to run the football first. They both like to utilize uh, that passing game out of the backfield to the running back. The, the new video that surfaced with Kamara, though, and... Uh, the incident that has been plaguing him this season. I don't know if it's going to affect this game, but if he gets suspended, they definitely lose. Uh, and I don't know if the, the ruling is going to come down. They've managed to avoid the suspension this season, but you know the video just got released of what happened. So there's going to be pressure to make him not play this game. And... Right now, he's not listed as suspended or anything, but I could see a situation where that pops up. I was already leaning towards the Ravens anyway, and I like what I've seen from them in certain moments this season. Uh, they, they looked good in the last couple of games, so I got to give them credit for that. The adjustments against the Bucks were very nicely done in the second half, and they earned that. But credit to the Saints, too, for shutting out uh, the Raiders last week in a very impressive game that I didn't think it was going to go down that way. I'll take the Ravens. I'll take over 47, though. You know, things may change by game time if uh, a certain somebody doesn't end up playing because it'll severely handicap the Saints. But 
I'll go Ravens, two and a half, on the road, over 47. Rids picks. Rids is calling for a Saints upset. And there you have it. We've reached the end of the show. We're not even at 45 minutes yet. I love it. It's much more digestible this way, I think, as the host and as the audience. If you follow along with the picks, I'm obviously 1-0. This week I went 10-5 and last week. I'm leading in both of my polls, excuse me, my pick'em leagues that I'm in. My season-long record at this point is 78 and 45 and 1. The win percentage of 63%. Very solid, if I'm being honest. And I did something a couple weeks ago that I think I forgot to do, but I did pick Washington as my upset pick last week. And I am looking at the Falcons game as the game where you've got the Chargers heading to a different time zone in the morning. So they're going to be a little bit more jet lagged than usual. They're dealing with a ton of injuries. And the Falcons are a competitive team that they're not an easy out for most teams. They've won some games that they probably shouldn't have won. Uh, They've lost some games that were close games that they could have won. So I like the Falcons in that spot. The other game I can think of off the top of my head is Seattle against Arizona. All the injuries. It's It's a good spot for Seattle to win, but with Arizona being at home, with getting Hopkins back, it's for me, it's a bigger question. So keep that on the back burner. Maybe even the Jags beat the Raiders because the Raiders have proven to be so bad, but I'll leave it with the Atlanta game. That'll be my upset pick of this week. And that's it. Thanks for listening to the show. I still got to go back and edit in all the sound effects, get Rid's picks involved in the game, which by this point in the show, you've already heard. You know her. She's doing pretty well, although she did take the Texans. She would actually be better than about half the league that I play in Uh, but she does love a home team so that is her only problem is that she can't get over picking home teams but of all the weeks I've picked she had the best week at 12 and 4 she just is not consistent so thank you so much for listening until next time as always be well stay safe and for Kristen who's not here happy football Sunday Thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode. I still believe that word of mouth is the best way to help, so if you enjoyed it, please tell somebody. But liking, subscribing, and sharing go a long way, too. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com, and you can contact me at info at or at Podcast on Twitter. And until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Bills.